Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we now turn our attention to your word, I ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and to our hearts. That more than the words that are read and said, your voice would be heard and we would respond to it and you would receive glory and honor as the name of Jesus is lifted up. In his name we pray, amen. Our scripture readings, uh, actually there's a number of them and there there are a number of short readings and I'm just gonna read right through them. And so you're welcome to follow along with me or or you can just just listen. They're, They're all readings from the, the first epistle of John. Again, the reason we're looking at this is John was a pastor in the church in Ephesus, and we've been following uh, Ephesus and doing a journey with them. And some of these things addressed in this letter are things that most certainly John would have discussed with the church in Ephesus. So, so here are the word of the Lord. I'm going to start with 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner in which he walked. Then jumping down to verse 24 of the same chapter. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. Then to chapter 3, starting at verse 23. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit he has given. Then 4, verses starting in verse 7. Beloved, Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Down to verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, 
God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And then finally, chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Thus ends the reading of the word. Well, last week we dealt with an issue that the Ephesian church, like us, deals with on a regular basis. Sin. Particularly, we dealt with the issue of ongoing and unrepentant sin. If it is not dealt with, it will end in death and condemnation. And while all sin is bad and we should never sin and there is never an excuse for sin... The reality is that this side of eternity, we will sin. But we who have been born again, if we really have been born again, will not sin in an ongoing and unrepentant manner. When we do sin, we will repent and confess our sin and stop sinning. And we will be forgiven. And we can know with certainty that we are saved for eternity by the God who will not lose any of those who belong to him. If someone is wondering if they are saved, they should ask these questions. First, have you been born again? If the answer is truly yes, truly that should settle the issue. But also ask, are you involved in willing and ongoing rebellion against God's authority in your life? Are you refusing to repent and turn back to God and walk in the light? If the answer is yes, be concerned about your salvation. And it is legitimate to ask if you really were born again. If no meaning you are not involved in willing and ongoing sin and rebellion against God's authority, and you know you have been born again, then rest in the fact that you are the Lord's, and he will never let you go. As for others whose hearts we can never know, the same is also true. We, we can tell a tree by its fruit, but occasionally good trees bear bad fruit and bad trees bear fruit that looks pretty good. And are you okay, Bob? Are you? Okay, okay. Let me, let me know. And occasionally bad trees bear fruit that looks pretty good. And, and relying on mere appearances or or past altar call experiences can be deadly. If there is ongoing sin, call this person, call that person to repent. 
love them. Pray the Lord will, will break them and that they will turn and repent. It might be nice to think, but I know they're saved. But the truth is that what we might want or think or our feelings about it will have zero bearing on their eternity. That is between them and the Lord. But know this, ongoing unrepentant sin is a sign of future condemnation, not of salvation. We were also reminded that we have an advocate and we have forgiveness. In Christ Jesus, because of the work that Jesus did on our behalf. Last week, we talked that sin and ongoing sin are huge issues and need to be taken seriously. But so does forgiveness, the forgiveness that is found in Christ Jesus. That was last week's recap. Today, we are going to address three more things that are big issues in 1 John and very connected to each other. And, and had the church in Ephesus truly held on to these things, they would not have gotten themselves into the situation that they forgot their first love, Jesus. Next week, we will uh, be taking a look at a couple things in Second and Third John, and then we will return to where we started this whole series with the letter that Jesus sent to the Ephesian church as recorded in the revelation given to John. But today, we're going to be looking at Abiding, obedience, and love. Abide isn't a word you hear very much. However, it is used a whole bunch in the New Testament, and especially by John, and particularly in this letter, 23 times in these five short chapters. Most frequently, it is in reference to Christians abiding in Christ and God abiding in us. But once in a while, it is used in other ways. For instance, at least one time we are told that whoever does not love abides in death. So, so what does this abide mean? Abide, the, the Greek word meno, means to stay, to remain. Are, are you sure you're okay, Bob? I'm just concerned about you. Is there something we can do? Okay, okay. Um, so what does this abide mean? Well, like I said, it, it means to stay or, or to remain. But it is more than just sticking around. It includes a strong sense of tenacity and endurance and interconnectedness and, and holding on even when opposed. Abide isn't waiting it isn't lackadaisical. Abiding is serious and focused and intense. Abiding in Christ is a willful and tenacious remaining in him, enduring in him, holding on to him, finding life in Jesus. And correctly understood, abiding is resting in him. According to the scriptures, those who have born, been born again abide in Christ. Abiding is also what God does in us. He, in the Holy Spirit, abides in us. 
In fact, our assurance of salvation rests not in our abiding in him, but in the fact that he abides in us. And unlike us, he does not need to be reminded to abide in us. We, however, who already abide in him, are reminded and told to abide in him, to draw our life from him, and it's a command. And when you think about it, since we already do abide in him, the command for us to abide in Christ is kind of peculiar. The fact, the fact is, though, that, that we can forget that we abide in Christ. And we can start to draw life elsewhere and start to abide elsewhere. John identifies that the problem that most of us have is loving the world, which is why in the middle of his opening verses, in which he's addressing abiding in Christ, he says in verse 215, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Of course, this does not mean don't love the creation and the people that God created. In fact, we're commanded to do that. What it means is do not desire the things of the world more than the Father himself. Because we are, when we're doing that, what we're doing is we're choosing not to abide in God. The problem is that we can be double-minded and we can give in to the shining bangles of the, the world and, and desire them more than Him. And thus we are reminded, we're commanded to get us to turn around and again find the life in Christ where it really is. When we take our eyes off of Jesus and start pursuing the things of the world instead of God and or we begin to get lost in sin... The command to abide in Christ is really a call to come home. The solution is not to grit our teeth and try not to sin. That won't work. Or is the solution to try not to love the world, like Dorothy wishing to return to Kansas. The way, the solution, is to again look to Christ. To hold on to him. And to, to tenaciously cling to who he is and what he has done. And then do what he says to do. A little further on in, chapter, in the chapter, in verse 24, John says, Let what you heard from the, from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. John's telling us what to do, how to abide in him. And what was he referring to when he said what you heard from the beginning? The answer is, it was the gospel. It was what they first believed, that they were lost, that, that Christ died and rose to save us, and that if we place our faith in him, we will be saved, and God will send his spirit to dwell in us. John is reminding them to think about this. To, to let it abide in them. And when they do that, when we do that, we will experience this mutual abiding that John is describing. When we are thinking about, when we are abiding in the gospel and who Jesus is, 
The fact is, we will not be thinking about the world or tempted to sin. We will be abiding in Him, thinking about Him. And verse 3-6 says, no one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. And this gets to our next point. In verse 2-6, he says that whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the manner Jesus walked. Well, how did Jesus walk? He walked in obedience to the Father by obeying his commands. In fact, right before John says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the manner he walked, he says that by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. There are two other very interwoven topics with this issue of abiding in God and God abiding in us. And they are obedience and love. The truth is that if we abide in Christ, we will obey God's commands and we will love, which will result in our obeying his commands because we abide in him. And I know it's circular and that you're going to hear that. It is circular. We need to stay tenaciously anchored in God, abide in God, and in him draw our strength. And the best way to do that is to obey his commandments. One of those commandments is to love him, which is actually the natural and instinctual response which we should have when we dwell on who he is and what he has done when we are abiding in him. And the connection between love and obedience isn't just something John made up. Jesus himself said, if you love me, obey my commandments. Jesus also says that God will give us a helper, the Holy Spirit. And John echoes this in 4.13 when he says, by this we know that we abide in him, and he in us because he has given us his spirit. We know that we abide in God because God's spirit is in us. And he himself will remind us that we should continue to abide in him. And we do this by obeying his commandments. And we love him by obeying his commandments. And because he abides in us, we want to obey his commandments as a sign of our love for him. I know it's circular. Do you hear it? Concerning obedience, though, we, we need to be clear about something. Obedience is very different from legalism. Legalism is a cursed condition that has befallen Christians from the time of the early church, which Paul addressed, for example, in Galatians. In fact, legalism has been a curse to the people of God from the beginning. And, and legalism is also a terrible curse that many suffer under today whether it is a legalism that says you must speak in tongues or behave certain ways to really be a Christian, or it is a legalism of don't do this or don't do that or don't do anything fun, an idea that has poisoned too many people's religious experience. Legalism is, is, is doing something or not doing something to gain something. One definition of legalism is excessive adherence to law or formula. In theological terms, legalism is adherence to the law and formulas in order to earn one's salvation or even to maintain one's salvation. 
Legalism results in living under a never-ending burden of, I must do this in order to achieve this. I must follow every law or I will never get to heaven, which is a horrible lie. For one thing, we can never follow every law. And besides, we've broken most of them already. And the, the penalty for breaking even one of them is death and condemnation. But even more important, someone, Jesus, on the cross has already paid the price for our violation of those laws. And the ones he's paid for the ones we will break in the future. And, and we will get to heaven, not on our merits, legalism, but on his grace. The truth is, if we go to heaven, it will never be because we followed the laws, because we obeyed the commandments. We will get to heaven by having faith in the one who did, Jesus. Legalism also leads to all kinds of wrongs, from paternalistic dictatorships to overwhelming and crushing hopelessness. And again, this is very different from obedience. Obedience, in its simplest definition, means obeying what you're told to do. But obedience that John is talking about is more than merely doing what you are told to do. What makes obedience good and what makes obedience matter is why you are doing those commands. Legalism obeys them out of fear or out of hope of getting something. The obedience God desires comes from the heart that recognizes who God is and it is a response to what he has done. Obedience is not to earn the love of the Father, but to show our love for the Father. Furthermore, this kind of obedience has an outcome, not of getting you to heaven. Again, that is accomplished by the obedience of Jesus, not us. But the kind of obedience that he's talking about, obeying God, keeping his word, helps us who are born again, children of God, abide in him as he abides in us. Again, it's circular. About these commandments, and there are many. We are pretty familiar with 10 of them, but there are many more. Jesus commands us to go into the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. We're commanded to serve as he served. We're commanded to turn the other cheek. Jesus gave many other commands. But John summarizes the heart's the heart of them in verse 323 when he says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. He goes on, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit who he has given us. If we believe on Jesus, and if we abide in God, we will keep his commandments. If we really are believing on Jesus Christ and abiding in God, think about it. How can you steal when you're doing that? 
How can you hate your brother? How, how can you sin when you are thinking about God? It's not possible. And how do you believe on Jesus? You obey his commandments. But there is a clear starting point to the circle, and it is what John just said. We must believe on Jesus. Remember what I mentioned about thinking about the gospel? That's where it starts. You will not sin or get caught up in sin when you are focused on Christ and what he has done, when you abide in him. You will sin when you take your eyes off of him and his gospel and start pursuing the things of the world. It's really kind of simple. If we keep our eyes on Jesus and on his gospel, we will obey his commandments. And as a response to what he has done and as a way to communicate our love and appreciation for him. And we will not sin. And we will experience his love. According to verse 2-3, if we keep his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. Which brings us to our next word, love. And like I said, it's circular, but I really didn't make this up. As John was nearing the end of the letter in verse 5-3, he says, For this is the love of God, that you keep his commandments. And John helps us understand what he means in 3.16 when he says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And he elaborates further in the next verse by saying, Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. If we love God, we will obey his commandments in deed and in truth, which will mean loving others which will mean God is abiding in us, which means we love God and we're abiding in him, which means we will keep his commandments, which means we abide in God. Do you hear it? And believing on Jesus is the starting point. John hones in on it and gives us, though, a actual beginning or a engine to the whole circle in verse 410. It says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The key in all of this is God's love for us demonstrated in Christ Jesus. It is because of his love that we're even able to abide in him and he in us. It's because of his love that he sent his spirit to abide in us. It's because of his love for us that, that we are even motivated to obey his commandments. It's because of his love that we obey his commandments, demonstrated not only by his abiding in us, but our abiding in him. And it is his love that transforms us as we dwell on 
and meditate on the gospel, his love demonstrated. And obedience will be our response. And abiding in him will be our experience. And love will be manifest in deed and truth. We abide in him and he abides in us. We abide in him and demonstrate that he abides in us by obeying his commandments, which also helps us abide in him, which means we will love as we think about his love and obey his commandments and thus abide in him. Abiding, obedience, and love, they're all, they're all tied together. And it all flows from the love of God demonstrated for us in Christ Jesus. And again, I know it's circular, but it is true. What we are going to see when we look at the letter that Jesus sent to the church in Ephesus, rebuking them, they were doing everything right, but he rebuked them, is that circular as this is, this abiding obedience and love, This is what the Ephesians forgot. May we never do so. Let's pray. Father, it all starts with your love for us, and we can only say thank you. Help our minds to be focused on you and what you have done. Help us to truly abide in you as you abide in us. May we respond in love and obedience as you continue to draw us closer to yourself. In the name of Jesus, amen.